to The Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. On today's podcast, we have another episode of Prophetic History. I'm very excited to bring you this story about this young lady and how her impact is still being felt around the world. Wow, that's powerful. And it all started with a simple word that the Lord had given her back in 1865. So I want to go back to 1865. This is right at the close of the Civil War era. She's in Massachusetts, so largely unaffected by the Civil War directly. And I want to go to her story. But before that, let's back up to 18. 44. In 1844, her father, Ebenezer Drake, was a widower, and he had two children, and he marries for the second time a lady named Lucy Reed, and together they will have eight children, and in 1844, they will give birth to Lucy Reed Drake, named after her mother. So she's probably uh, near the top of the list of kids since she has her mother's name, probably the first daughter for her mother. So we see that in uh, this is a Methodist family, and we see that in 1864, Lucy receives the Lord as her personal Savior around the age of 20. Now, right after this, Lucy becomes very sick. She contracts tuberculosis known as consumption during that era. And I want to sidebar right here uh, because it's very important to our story and talk about consumption at that time. Now, consumption had reached epidemic levels at this time. It was a bacteria that gets in your lungs, and people would have a chronic cough, and then they would slowly die. It was also called the White Plague. And in Europe in the uh, 1800s, it had claimed almost a quarter of the population. So this was a serious disease that was problematic. And during this time, it was common for there to be sanatoriums or uh, uh, homes, convalescent homes, where people with consumption would go to live uh, because they didn't want the disease to be spread. And they were essentially in quarantine homes, if you will. So uh, a little different from today. They didn't quarantine the whole society back then, just the sick. And so what we're doing today is a little different and unusual. So Lucy has consumption. She also has been diagnosed with a brain tumor, and she was basically dying as a young woman. She's about 22 years old at this time. She's very sick. She cannot even walk. Uh, She's completely bedridden. And her parents bring her to Dr. Charles Cullis in Boston. Dr. Charles Cullis had a home for consumptives. And he was a doctor that treated people with consumption. And he had managed to, I'm going to give a quick sidebar on his story. His story all by itself is very fascinating too. And in June 1866, so she's about 23 years old. She's been in this home for roughly a year. The Lord gives her a word. And the word and the promise, she describes it as a promise. The promise that the Lord gave her is, I will bless thee, and thou shalt be a blessing. And that's taken right out of the book of Genesis. And also now at the same time, Dr. Cullis 
who is having his own personal revival. Uh, Shortly before this, his wife had passed away, and he really presses into his faith. He is tired of seeing people die in his home, and he feels powerless as a doctor. Uh, They don't really have, you know, antibiotics at work the way they do today and some of the medicines they have, and he feels helpless. And he begins to seek the Lord about healing, the healing of the sick. In fact, he calls this this home, it becomes his faith work, his faith mission. And so he becomes very uh, interested in how God can heal people miraculously. And so around this time, he's got Lucy in the home and he approaches Lucy and asks her, if uh, she would be willing to let him pray for her through the laying on of hands. And she agrees. And so uh, this was like, you have to remember the times too. This is not normal. This is unheard of. This is, uh, this is, would be considered heresy by many uh, in the religious communities. And so Lucy in January of 1867 has uh, Dr. Cullis pray for her. And she becomes miraculously healed. In fact, she gets up that day out of the bed and she walks around Boston three miles. And this becomes what's called the healing that was heard around the world. In fact, this will spark off a great healing movement after this. And I want to explain that as I go forward with her life and her testimony and her history. So Colas, as a result of this, Dr. Colas, he sort of is having his own revival too as the one that was able to pray for her. And he begins holding meetings in his home. And oftentimes he will have Lucy stand up and give her testimony. And then uh, someone in 1868 writes all of this in a pamphlet. And this is sort of sent out all over the country and later all over the world. And that's how this became known as uh, the healing that was heard around the world. It goes out in these publications. Now, you have to remember, we don't have radio. We don't have television, uh, magazines, pamphlets. Uh, newspapers. This is how people got their information and books and their entertainment. And so uh, this was exciting. This was exciting and it spread like wildfire. So he has this consumptive home. Well, word gets out and people start with tuberculosis, start coming to this home so they can be healed. And so she, uh, Lucy, becomes a deaconess in the consumptive's home, which was like a precursor to becoming a nurse at that time and so it was a reli- it was a religious hospital convalescence home and that was not uncommon back then in fact if you go to most hospitals in your town you will realize that you know in my city in Birmingham Alabama there is the St. Vincent's Hospital which is the Catholic hospital there is the Baptist hospital you know the Methodist hospital and so it was not uncommon for religion to be interwoven with hospitals because hospitals started out as charity work through various uh, religious organizations. And so that's how that's their origin. And so that was not uncommon. It's not like our secular society today. So she becomes a a deaconess in the home. And uh, later, some people who come to visit named William and Mary Boardman, they hear her testimony. And they are involved in the holiness camp meeting movement. Now, I have to sidebar right here and talk a little bit about the holiness movement. In early 
1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s Christianity for those who were involved in the holiness movement, which really came out of the Methodist Church. There was a, a an emphasis on the doctrine of sanctification and on being holy, and that was a way to uh, be able to experience the Holy Spirit in a tangible way. And so later that becomes the precursor to the Pentecostal movement. So William and Mary Boardman hear her testimony and they invite Lucy to travel with them on a circuit for holiness meetings and to share her story. And so she agrees and they go by train and there are records of them traveling, uh, the Boardmans and Lucy, and they take a tour of several Midwestern cities. They go all the way out to uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, Richmond, Oxford, Columbus, uh, all all over. And uh, it turns out that Drake, Lucy Drake, was a dynamic speaker. She really had an anointing for sharing her testimony. And I believe it was birthed out of just the passion that she had. And she remembered and held on to the word that the Lord had given to her that He will bless her and she will be a blessing. I love that. Uh, Here's a little snippet I pulled out of some old newspaper articles. Uh, This is like a little newspaper advertisement for a a meeting that Lucy was going to be speaking at. This will be fun. I'll read this. It said, At Hanson Place Baptist Church this evening, a meeting for the promotion of holiness will be addressed by Miss Lucy Drake from Dr. Cullis' House of Prayer in Boston. Miss Drake intends to start for India soon as a missionary. An interesting meeting will be expected. So let me talk about her next phase of her life. Now, she has been, uh, we're fast-forwarding six years. Uh, This was near the end of her tenure as a evangelist or guest speaker with the Boardmans. She had traveled with them for six years all over the country sharing her testimony. In fact, here's a little snippet from the Boston Journal. It says in a meeting she had in Framingham, Massachusetts, they describe her as one of the few women who have attained success as a platform speaker at a very early age. Words fall from her lips with a sweetness and power rarely seen. I love that. So when Charles... Cullis, I'm going to go back to him because she's still sort of tethered to him and his work, and she's announced as being part of his his work. In fact, he will go on to open more consumption homes, and then he'll also open a series of orphanages. All of his ministry seems to be centered around medicine, and he's a, a medical missionary, if you will. And so she she's tethered with him, and he feels a call to start a, uh, a plant or a missionary work, and it's going to be also tethered to the medical for healing in India. And so Lucy volunteers to be a part of that, and she is uh, now 30 years old. We fast forwarded to 1875 after she's been traveling all over the country in her late 20s, and now she's 30, and she is headed to India. So she's got to raise money first, and um, she begins to go and speak to raise money and that last year that she's with the uh, Boardmans. And so Lucy will go to India and uh, she ends up, and this is sort of a sidebar story. So uh, at some point in the camp meeting circuit, she becomes friends with Amanda Berry Smith. Now, if you have not heard the story of Amanda Berry Smith, 
It is in one of our earlier podcasts in our prophetic history episodes. She is one of my favorite early church characters that I talk about, and I just love her. She was known as the singing evangelist. And she is dynamic. She uh, was born into slavery, and she goes on to travel, and she will end up singing and preaching the gospel all over the world and even before royalty. And so she has an amazing story. So Lucy Drake and Amanda Berry Smith become friends, and uh, they they always write to each other, and they're uh, sort of... Uh, just strike up a friendship. And so Lucy, when she gets the call to go to India, she reaches out to Amanda Berry Smith. And uh, she's the one who who prompts Amanda Berry to pray about coming with her to India. And so, uh, and she does. And so that's an amazing story by itself. So they end up going to India. And while they are there, she meets a fellow missionary named William B. Osborne. Now, William B. Osborne had been uh, in the States. He he ends up going at the same time to India as Amanda Berry Smith and Lucy Drake. But William is a fascinating character all by himself. I do want to talk just a little bit about him for a minute. So he had been also on the camp meeting circuit, and he ends up founding and forming the National Camp Meeting Association. And he was a revival preacher, but mainly he was usually the one that would organize everything. He was uh, also a pioneer. He ends up founding uh, the city that he will settle in, and he uh, spends a lot of time on the mission field. He is really a Renaissance man. He is doing it all. Like, I don't wonder when the man had time to sleep. He's a very busy guy. So William Osborne and Lucy Meet, But while Lucy is there in about 1878, so she's about 33 years old, uh, she becomes really sick, uh, probably had dysentery or, or, or something along those lines being in India. She probably got a hold of, you know, some bad water or food and got very sick. And so she is forced to come back to America. So she comes back to America and she recovers it takes her a little time she recovers but she she said that india changed her life forever and she she cannot wait to go back she really wants to go back so in 1879 she's about 34 35 years old she goes to england and visits the boardmans again the boardmans by the way are from england and so she goes back to the boardmans and she meets back up with Amanda Berry Smith, and they go to India. And so they raise the money in England by doing uh, meetings that the Boardmans help them arrange on the circuit within England. They do, uh, they share their testimonies, and uh, Barry Smith will sing. And, you know, they basically hold these uh, evangelistic services and raise money for their funds to go to India. And, and they somehow end up being connected to some very wealthy uh, sort of upper crust people in England, and they finance everything for them. It's actually amazing. Uh, That's a whole side story, but they really went over the aristocracy at this time, and and they really finance a lot of their their work. And so Amanda Berry Smith, and there's a group of, of people, they end up going to India. They go to Paris, Rome, Naples, Egypt. Uh, they end up 
they end up sharing the gospel all over the world. In fact, she uh, later in her life will she will be known as someone who ran went around the world two and a half times. I don't know what that means, but that's what this what they said in one of her books. When they go to India, she comes back in contact with Mr. Osborne, uh, who was setting up camp meetings there under Bishop William Taylor. So in 1879, when she's around 35 years old, Lucy Reed Drake marries William B. Osborne in India. And so they they become married to one another, and they establish camp meetings all over the world. They, uh, They go to Australia, to Canada, and they begin to... Uh, established camp meetings, and then they come back to New York, Boston, and New Jersey, and they begin to set up and begin to develop the idea to do missionary training schools. Now, this is where things really take off in a new direction for them. They've had all these experiences. She's told her, you know, it started out with her telling her testimony, and then it really moves on beyond that, and now they're training. So in 1885, uh, they, the Osbournes, mainly Lucy Osborne, starts the Union Missionary Training School, and she has one is in Brooklyn and one is in New Jersey. In fact, I'm going to sidebar and tell you the one about the one in New Jersey. It was on the coast, and they had been praying for the money to purchase some land to do this uh, institute, and the land that they wanted uh they, they couldn't understand why no one else wanted it, and they ended up deciding it was a bargain, and they go to buy it, and somebody at the last minute tells them, you know, the reason that land hasn't sold is the mosquito problem, and she's like, we will just pray them away, <laughs> so they, they end up getting what now is considered just primo, you know, real estate, and so they ended up buying this land no one else wanted, but God had a plan, and God knew what he was doing, and so they end up having the union missionary training school and i'm going to come back and talk about the well i'll go ahead and talk about it now the union missionary training school was sort of groundbreaking at the time because it was considered the most intensive missionary or or seminary college or institute that there was in in the world really and what was unique is it was interdenominational, which was not common at that time. Uh, they taught foreign languages. They taught theology, music. And then I think because of the inspiration of Dr. Cullis, they also taught people like first aid, basic surgery. They taught them a lot of medical procedures uh, to, for when they would go into the third world, which be, became just amazing. And so also she begins to start the Faith Home for the Incurables. I love that. And uh, her heart for missions, though, she said, just caused her to do so much. In fact, uh, she describes the reason for the school with this quote. There are masses who can be influenced by persons of average ability, baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. The design of this school is to take any who give evidence to being called of God and give them such an education as they should be specifically adapted to lead them to become soul winners in foreign lands. Amen. That'll preach all by itself. Uh, This school will last until 1916, well after her death, and then it will merge with the National Bible Institute. And so it's still 
going on today. Uh, little some little things about her later life also is the Osbournes get to know Carrie Judd and George Montgomery. They spoke at the Home for Peace in 1896 and at the Montgomery's camp meetings that summer. Now, if you remember, we did reference Carrie Judd Montgomery when we talked about Sarah Freeman Mix. Uh, Carrie Judd Montgomery also had a healing and she would go around and speak about her healing. And that was mentioned in Sarah Freeman Mix in the episode that I did on her. So if you want to go back and listen to that. So they're all sort of, if you're on the camp meeting circuit, you kind of all get to know each other. This is way before the televangelist days, but this is how people would, uh, they would conduct these camp meetings. And so in 1902, William Osborne will pass away, but Lucy will continue work for the next several years, mainly centered around the missionary training school. She also will write several books. She has a, one of, some of the books she has. This one was published in 1893. It's called Heavenly Pearls Set in a Life. I like that. And the subtitle is A Record of Experiences and Labors in America, India, and Australia. So uh, you can get that book actually for free in uh, the ebook form online. It's fantastic. I kind of thumbed through that. Another book she has was published in 1911 called Light on Soul Winning. There's another one called Pioneer Days of Ocean Grove. That's mainly from the perspective, uh, that's mainly a book she wrote about her husband and his work. Uh, He also was the founder of Ocean Grove, New Jersey, and one of the founding fathers. He was a pioneer, and then he also did the camp meetings. You know, the camp meetings would go into the places where there was no city. So those were how preaching reached mainly the rural areas. And so, and then she also has a book called Strategic Points in the Pentateuch. So she was also quite the Bible scholar. Um, She wasn't just about the missionary work. She had purpose behind it. In 1918, her organization produced annual reports And it talked about all the successes that they had. She was also a regular contributor to Triumphs of Faith and Christian Witness magazine. She will die in 1922 in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. And it was a Christian community that her husband helped to found as a founding father in 1869. And so that is the story of Lucy Reed Drake Osborne. And it all started with a word she had while she was sick, dying with an incurable disease. And that was the word from the Lord that said, I will bless thee and thou shall be a blessing and a blessing she was. And God did heal her. He did bless her. And then she went on and just by sharing her story and by sharing the love of Jesus and the healing power of Jesus, not only to heal bodies, but to heal hearts went all over the world. And so her miracle really was the healing heard around the world. So I hope this story about Lucy Reed Drake Osborne blessed and encouraged you today in one of our episodes about prophetic history. Thank you 
for listening to today's podcast. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll be informed next time I post. Thank you again and have a blessed day.